Hello, everyone. Welcome to this podcast from Cambridge Health Tech Institute for the Leaders in Biobanking Congress and the Cancer Diagnosis at the Crossroads Precision Medicine Driving Change event, which both run September 15th through the 17th in Seattle, Washington. I'm Ann Wynn, Associate Conference Producer. We're pleased to have with us one of our plenary keynote speakers, Dr. Carolyn Compton, Chief Medical Officer of National Biomarkers Development Alliance, Chief Medical Officer for Complex Adaptive Systems Institute, Adjunct Professor of Pathology at the Mayo Medical School, and Professor in the School of Life Sciences at Arizona State University. Carolyn, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Anne. During human biospecimen acquisition and processing, what kinds of pre-analytical variables might alter the analytical results of molecular profiles and affect the possibility of individualized therapies for patients with cancer and other diseases? Well, when we're talking about human biospecimens, Anne, I just want to clarify up front that there are two basic types. One are tissues, and the other are fluid specimens, such as blood, serum, urine. They are acquired and processed differently, but the same principles hold true for both of these specimen types. And when you're talking about research related to cancer patients, you are often referring to specimens that come directly from the tumors that were removed at surgery for treatment of the patient, and then samples of that tumor preserved for research. So just in that context, I wanted to say that you're going into the operating room, really, to acquire the samples of tumor tissue from surgery, whereas the acquisition of blood samples is much simpler and happens under more controlled conditions. In both of these settings, there are numerous, and I would go so far as to say dozens, of Uh, different stresses put on the biospecimen in the process of collecting them, handling them, processing them, transporting them, and storing them, and stabilizing them to stop their biologic activity. But during this entire process of acquisition, handling, processing, etc., the specimens are still biologically viable, and they are capable of reacting to changes in their environment. The changes in their environment during biobanking are extraordinary from the point of view of being stressful to the specimen in a way that they would never experience as an integral part of your body. When you take them out of the body, when you subject them to different temperatures, when you cut off their blood supply, when you slice them up and you perform uh, different manipulations with them, they are reacting to all of these things until you stabilize the specimen. And that means for tissue, usually, snap freezing it right away, lowering its temperature to the point below which biologic activity can take place, or putting it in formaldehyde, into formalin, which chemically stops the reactions in the tissue and preserves it indefinitely. One of the main problems now in biobanking is that all of these stresses and changes in the tissue before the tissue arrives at the scientific analysis to which it will be subjected for translational research is introducing many artifacts in the tissue. The tissue is changing its transcription of its genes, changing translation into proteins, changing the modification of those proteins in totally artifactual ways, in ways that are only related to the 
acquisition processing and stabilization stresses and have nothing to do with the biology of disease. Therefore, they can be misinterpreted by the investigator who is using those specimens for translational research as being reflective of the underlying disease process when, in fact, they only represent noise in the sample. They don't represent true biology. This problem of separating signal, true biology, from noise, artifact in the tissue, becomes more and more difficult the more powerful the analytic platform you're using. So with highly specific, highly sensitive technologies that are being used now to interrogate biology, the bar is going up for the quality of the biospecimen and this need to separate the noise in the specimen from the noise in the technology and still come out with new insights into the biology. It's a complex problem, and it must be dealt with as we move forward to unravel the secrets of cancer that are going to lead us to new therapies. What role do biobanks play in ensuring more accurate diagnoses and personalized patient treatments? Biobanks play an essential role as a trusted third party between the patient who donates the specimen and the investigator, the scientific researcher who uses the specimen. Their job is really to ensure that the specimen is of high molecular quality, that the pre-analytical variables that we've just discussed have been controlled in a standard way if possible, and if impossible, if they, for instance, are linked to procedures in the operating room and are a necessary part of the patient's treatment. They, they can't be controlled by biobanking standards, but the variables need to be at least recorded so it's clear what happened to the specimen on the way to the investigator's laboratory. So it's the biobank that monitors and records and keeps all this data and is in a position to quality control every single sample. That's important from the point of view, if we're talking about tumor tissue, from the start, just verifying the diagnosis. Is the piece of tissue that was donated to the bank, is it representative of the tumor? Does it have any cancer tissue in it at all? Is the cancer diagnosis correct? So all of those things are essential to verifying the quality of the sample. And then it was it handled in the right way to make it fit for the analytic purpose to which it will be subjected. And this concept of fit for purpose is one that's rapidly evolving as we understand the requirements of different analysis technologies for, say, density of biomolecule that is needed, for quality of biomolecule that is needed. So you have to match the specimen that you've got with the requirements of the analysis technology, or else it's useless, a waste of time and money to analyze a specimen that's inappropriate. And it's a biobank that is in a position to be able to determine this fit-for-purpose-ness. But there's two other things that the biobank does that are essential for good research. One of them is to collect and quality control the clinical data that goes with the sample. By clinical data, I mean this is information about the patient, information about the patient's tumor, information about the patient's treatment, so that all of these 
factors can be linked to the biologic insight gained from the sample and a correlation made that will give us insight into biology. The specimen itself delinked from the clinical setting from which the patient came and the clinical realities about the patient is much, much less valuable for translational research than one that is linked to clinical data. And the third thing, and I can't emphasize how important this is because even if you've done the first two things correctly, if you've collected the specimen and guarded its quality, collected the associated data and guarded its quality, you still wouldn't be able to use the specimen for translational research unless you do this third thing. And that is to guarantee uh, to the user of the sample and to the donator of the sample that the sample has been properly consented for use in research so that both the patient who's donating the tissue knows exactly and agrees with the use of that tissue for research downstream. The researcher knows that that specimen they're using comes from a patient who has properly consented, and all of this has been done under the auspices of an institutional review board. So the ethical use of tissues is really one of the main functions of a biobank, and it's an essential role that they play. What additional tools or strategies can researchers and their collaborators use to maintain biospecimen quality and ultimately advance precision medicine? Well, I think the very first thing is that scientific researchers who are often highly trained scientists, PhDs in laboratories who know nothing about clinical medicine, how surgery is done, how tissues are obtained, even how bloods are drawn and about tourniquet times and the effect of the bore of the needle and the centrifuge speed and the temperatures to which the specimen is subjected. They know nothing about these pre-analytical variables and they certainly don't understand the impact of those pre-analytical variables on the specimens they're using. So just coming to the point of educating the user stakeholders, the population of scientists who use human specimens in research, and educating them about these things, raising their consciousness level of the importance of fit-for-purposeness in the samples that they're using, and demanding this quality of sample for themselves, for their own research, will in and of itself improve the quality of the research that's done with these samples. So just education, training, and a focus on quality will help to raise this bar. But ultimately, the researchers themselves have a role in maintaining the provenance of the specimens once they have been delivered to their laboratory. They are also partners in the guardian role that must be played for quality control of samples, and they have to recognize what the pre-analytical variables in their own laboratory may or may not contribute to altering the molecular quality or the molecular composition of the sample that they're using. So it's going to require a lot of discussion and education, exchange between the clinical community that acquires the samples, and the scientific community that uses the samples. The more dialogue and the more 
collaboration between these two groups, the better, with the biobank standing in the middle to ensure that, in fact, that's a role that the biobank can play, is to ensure that this dialogue proceeds. And what will be the main theme of your keynote presentation on September 15th? Well, and I'd actually like to suggest that this issue of uncontrolled, unstandardized, pre-analytical variation in human samples that currently exists in the world of translational research may, in fact, be one of the reasons that so many experiments in the realm of what we think of as discovery research cannot be replicated. In fact, this is an embarrassing fact that has recently, once again, risen to public attention with the news about the Amgen study done by a company that was seeking to replicate a large number, about 53 or so, seminal discovery research studies published in reputable journals that produced data that was going to lead the company to invest money to develop products for patients based on these new insights. And they set out to first show that these data could be reproduced and even went to the laboratories of the investigators to make sure that they were replicating the experiment properly, that they were guided by the investigators' insights into procedures in the laboratory that were not necessarily enumerated in the publications but might be important to being able to reproduce the studies and still were only able to replicate 11% of the studies. Now, that's a startling finding that we, by and large, cannot fully rely on the fundamental principle of good science if it represents biologic truth, if it represents scientific truth. It should be repeatable. If you can't repeat seminal experiments, that doesn't give you firm ground to move forward, to go through the incredibly expensive, labor-intensive, costly procedure of developing, validating the, the products on which those scientific discoveries may be founded and getting product approval from the FDA to mass market this before any patient can benefit. That usually takes in excess of a decade, about 12 years, and in excess of $2 billion to get a single new drug to market. If you can't replicate the very findings on which all that effort and expense is based, it certainly goes a long way to explaining why there's a 95% failure rate in our current drug development enterprise, an unsustainable position for us to be in vis-a-vis the exploding new science, the need to get this to patients, and the patients waiting and relying on us as scientists to bring the fruits of that labor to them. So I'm suggesting that like any scientific enterprise, biomolecular translational research still is subject to the basic rule of garbage in garbage out. If you are starting with poor quality biospecimens that are not fit for purpose, they may yield artifactual data, they may lead you to 
perform an experiment that cannot be reproduced by anyone else, and it may contribute to this problem of irreproducibility and to the failure of our system to be able to develop new scientific findings into new medical products for patients. And that's what I will be talking about in September. Well, it sounds like an area that uh, scientists really need to dig into further. So we're looking forward to hearing more from you in a couple of months. But for now, Carolyn, thank you again for sharing so many insights with us today. Thank you, and for the opportunity to do this. It's really been my pleasure. Thank you. That was Carolyn Compton of National Biomarkers Development Alliance, Complex Adaptive Systems Institute, Mayo Medical School, and Arizona State University. She'll be a plenary keynote speaker at the Leaders in Biobanking Congress and Cancer Diagnosis at the Crossroads Precision Medicine Driving Change event, which both take place September 15th through the 17th in Seattle. If you'd like to hear her in person, go to www.healthtech.com biobanking or www.healthtech.com precision hyphen medicine hyphen cancer for registration information and enter the key code podcast. I'm Ann Wynn. Thank you for listening.